0: test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today. lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, Your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power. The might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you wealth, power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. Father God, we come before your word uh, desiring to <clears throat> understand it, to have our lives conform to it. We pray that you would enable me to clearly articulate uh, the truths that uh, uh, we need for this particular time, to uh, get across that you would give all of us hearing ears, receptive hearts and lives that live it out to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the reason we're going to be going over um, several passages from Deuteronomy over the next uh, few weeks is because, in my estimation, we really cannot finish a series on the Christian and prosperity without looking at this marvelous book. Uh, it is absolutely chock-full of Uh, passages dealing with prosperity principles that are involved in losing that or gaining it uh, And just the promises of the Lord. We're not going to look at all of those I just want to give you a few highlights uh, In the in the coming weeks you've probably read some of them Deuteronomy 28 is a key one that we're going to have to look at actually Deuteronomy 27 and following and uh, I hope to uh, be dealing with that uh, in the near future, but uh, Deuteronomy 8 I think, is a marvelous passage. And one of the things I want to demonstrate is that every, every uh, section of the book of Deuteronomy is just full of promises of God's prosperity in our lives. Um, let me just give you an example. Deuteronomy 1, verse 1. Moses wishes this for Israel. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. I just cannot help but go down a little rabbit trail right here because Moses says having Israel 1,000 times more populous than it presently was was to be an incredible blessing. Now think about that for a moment because Numbers chapter 1 says there were over 600,000 fighting men. If there was only three children on ab- average per family, and probably a lot more than that, uh, you would have 3 million people that he was addressing. Now Moses was saying... If they were multiplied a thousand times that, which is what, 3 billion people, it would be a blessing, not a curse. 3 billion, half the population of the entire world right now. Now, there are enormous economic implications just to that statement right there. I think the Austrian School of Economics recognizes this. But a lot of people, they just see the huge populations as being consumers rather than as being productive, and they just have a real hard time with this. They fail to realize that given the right economic system, it doesn't matter how many people you have, they can prosper, they can prosper. And uh, we may bring up some principles along those lines, but I remember, I remember getting into debates quite regularly with uh, uh, students from, uh, from China who have been drilled into them. You know, it's overpopulated, only one child is legal uh, in, in China. Now we'd get into a debate, you know, whether or not there's overpopulation in China. And I have told them, well, it's true. Given socialistic economics, it doesn't matter how much you reduce the population, it's going to be overpopulated. Uh, just, that's just the way the economics works. But they said, we don't have the resources. That's the main problem. And I said, you got tons of resources. you got way more resources than Hong Kong does. Hong Kong is a tiny little country, 400 square miles. Only 1 of the land is arable. of what they consume is brought in from outside. Almost everything that they produce is brought in from outside and then exported again after they've manufactured. And yet, 3 million people, which is far more per square mile than any place in China, it is incredibly prosperous because they have been following some of the biblical economic principles that actually flowed out of the West. And so don't buy into the lie of overpopulation. In fact, a great book that could get you started on a search on this is Rush Dooney's book, The Myth of Overpopulation. And uh, uh, he points out that it's really the economic system. America was overpopulated long before whites got here. It was overpopulated. There was starvation in many different places because given the economic system and the approach that they took, they, they did not have adequate to meet their needs. The economic system that the Bible talks about it's able to sustain enormous numbers of people. But anyway, the point that I wanted to give on Deuteronomy chapter 1 is from beginning to end, God promises all kinds of prosperity to His people when they follow Him, when they lay hold of His covenant. He gives principles that show you how to prosper in, in different kinds of situations. In the next chapter, um, he says to them for the, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand and you trace through chapter by chapter In the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see promises that he would multiply them. He would increase them He would increase what they had in their hands. He would bless them in all the work of their hands now Frankly when people look at passages like that uh, nowadays in the church they're skeptical that they apply in any way uh, to our modern situation and and uh, I think that there's a good reason for that. I think there's a tendency for some people to let their experience dictate how they interpret the Scriptures. Okay, they find that their life is out of accord with the promises or whatever it is that the Scripture gives, and rather than examining the Scripture to see what's wrong with me, what's wrong with my family, what's wrong with my culture, because your culture impacts your prosperity as well, but rather than looking at that, instead they say, well, that can't apply to the New Testament. And in fact, they're saying my experience determines that the Bible is wrong on that. They wouldn't say that. They just come up with this theological thing. That was for Israel, and it's not for the, not for the church today. And so before we even begin looking at uh, some of these passages in Deuteronomy, what I want to demonstrate is that the book of Deuteronomy is uh, very relevant to the church of Jesus Christ. It's going to be kind of an introductory sermon, and I will get to probably the first two points of my outline of this chapter, And I'm not going to cover everything that's in this chapter. There's a ton of stuff in here. But I want to give you some highlights. And before we get to point number one, I want to give you a few points that show why this is relevant. First of all, Christ quoted verse 3 as an imperative for kingdom living in Matthew 4, verse 4. Now, that by itself ought to settle the question. Christ treats this passage as being very relevant. You know, the passage on discipline is picked up in the New Testament. Uh, it 's something that 's treated as if it 's being written to us. second, Christ quoted from Deuteronomy more than he quoted from any other book in the Old Testament. Uh, it was really the foundation of his gospel of the kingdom. Thirdly, this should not surprise us because First Corinthians chapter uh, ten verse eleven says that all of the Old Testament was written for our admonition Romans fifteen four says whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And when he says whatever was written before, he's saying whatever is written in the Old Testament was written for our learning, for our instruction to give us hope. And I hope we get hope you know, as we look through this passage. Fourth, Deuteronomy is directly quoted in the New Testament 79 times with over 200 references to it. Uh, In other words, allusions. But there's direct quotes 79 times and those quotations cover the gamut. of of every facet and doctrine. And God not only quotes passages to deal with doctrines, he also quotes the cursings and the blessings in the Old Testament. And the reason I bring that up is there's a lot of people out there who say, not only are we not under the laws of the Old Testament, it's illegitimate to apply the promises uh, or to apply the cursings of the Old Testament. That's just for Israel. That's not for the church. Well, you read the references yourself. I've got a, a big handout if you're really interested, but it's pretty big, that in parallel column goes through all of the Old Testament and then shows where it's quoted in the New Testament. You cannot read the New Testament passages without realizing the apostles disagree with them. Christ disagrees with them. They apply all of those cursings, those blessings to the New Testament. Now, I've given just a couple samples of the cursings and blessings, uh, and I, I didn't take the time to go through all of them this past week, but I looked at section Deuteronomy 27 through the end of the book, and I found, let me see here, make sure I get this right, Um, I found seven curses from that section of Deuteronomy that are applied to us in the New Testament, and four blessings. And a couple of those are just general, that apply to all of the blessings and all of the cursings. Now, it may seem like, you know, it's a little bit of overkill. You know, you're preaching to the choir, Kaiser. You know, we all believe this. But I'm emphasizing this because it's such a pervasive attitude in our culture that when something seems a little bit off from the Old Testament to us because we're not used to thinking that way, our immediate impulse is to say, oh, that was for Israel. It's not for us. The New Testament doesn't do that. It treats it as if this is the Bible of the New uh, New Testament church. Fifth, there are many other reasons that could be given, but uh, let me just give you Moses' reason, and you can turn with me there if you want, to Deuteronomy chapter 32, and he says this is why you need to be taking seriously all of the words of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32, verse 46, He said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe, all the words of this law, for it is not a futile thing for you because it is your life. Let me just stop there for a moment. He didn't say this is on the periphery. He says it's your life. He didn't say it's unimportant or it's symbolical. He says it's your life. Uh, it's something that was at the core of where they were supposed to be at covenantally. And uh, we need to take it seriously as well if it was their very life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Okay, there's a positive sanction. A sanction is either a blessing or a curse. Here's the positive that he gives. and. The New Testament, I would say, I would uh, give, uh, give you, if you study through those quotations, would say, the promises and the blessings that were given to Israel are promises and blessings that we can claim for ourselves as well. And the key, Moses says, is following all the words. I think we many times don't receive all of the blessings that are promised because we're not following all of the blueprints. He says, this is your life, follow all of the words. That I'm giving to you. And that's where I'd like to begin in Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is going to be point number one. <clears throat> point number one says that there is a close relationship between ethics and prosperity. Ethics is simply, you know, the, the study of biblical right and wrong. How do we know where we should go, what we should do? And uh, there is a clear cut um, connection between them. If you look at verse 1, He says, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Okay? So he's saying, every commandment you're supposed to follow that you may live and multiply. He's saying, follow all of these commandments and it's going to result in ethical, I mean, it's going to result in prosperity. That, that word that in there indicates there is a connection between ethics and prosperity, and the same thing is mentioned in verses 3, 4, 6, 7, 10, and 11. Now, this is a crucial issue, and it comes up over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy, probably because, uh, you know, we tend to forget it. Uh, actually, it may be more than just forgetting it. Uh, Rodney uh, Swab was joking at uh, the Dominion Business discussion group, What was it the one day ten day MBA says boy, it's a small chapter on ethics You know a tiny little thing, but I think that's symbolic of the and he was mentioning that too symbolic of the way We tend to think yeah sure there needs to be some ethical things or we wouldn't have any trust in business and and the free market Would kind of fall apart, but a lot of people want to take ethics out of it They want to make economics a totally moral neutral zone and the point of this verse is you can't do that there is a cause-and-effect relationship between your actions whether they are ethical or not ethical, and what kind of prosperity you're going to get out of that, whether you're talking about God prospering your relationships, your money, your time management, whatever. Okay. Now, there are three ways that the consequences of ethics are manifested in prosperity or lack of prosperity. First of all, God does it by way of miracles uh, uh, at times. This is the supernatural. Look at verse 2. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Remember how he led them? It was a big miracle. It was this fiery cloud at night, and it was a a regular cloud during the day that that led them around in the wilderness. Now, whether God leads in that way or supernaturally, he guides us by way of illumination. Uh, It's a wonderful blessing that the Lord uh, gives to us. Another one, verse uh, 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 3, mentions the miracle of manna. Okay, it was clear. A miracle that God did for a period of forty years. Verse four says, Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty days. And so it should not surprise us when God blesses us in miraculous ways, where things we just like are shocked, whether it's financial or another way. He just blesses us with a miracle. Now I don't think that's that's the normal, otherwise we wouldn't call it miracles or supernatural, but God still does it. He does it all the time. And uh, that would be the first first way. The second form of blessing that's connected to ethics are the natural consequences of our actions. <clears throat> uh, verse 9 uh, mentions uh, the labor that's needed to dig the ore, the copper ore, out of the ground. And uh, I mean, that's pretty obvious. No digging. There's not going to be any copper ore. You're not going to be able to prosper in your mining operation. Okay. Um, if if you don't plant and uh, and uh, fertilize and plow the fields and you don't uh, Harvest you're not going to prosper in terms of your farming and I just speak of this as the the laws of harvest or God's natural way of working uh, in our lives Uh, How he uh, how he blesses us ordinarily and I think even pagans recognize this as a blessing or a cursing they don't call it that because they don't maybe believe in God But they recognize between actions that are given, there is a cause and effect relationship. I didn't take the time. I was kind of in a hurry. I didn't take the time to double check to make sure this is right. But I believe it's George Gilder's book. I'd have to double check to make sure which of the books was in there. But it was a fascinating study. The statistical relationship between between faithful monogamous marriage and an increase in income, increase in health, increase in life expectancy, uh, increase in responsibility. It was just fascinating. And then the reverse for those who were fornicating, who were not, uh, uh, well, I better not push how far that was, but a very interesting study. And there have been many other studies that have been uh, done along those lines. Uh, and and you, it makes sense, even to an unbeliever. You do these actions, here's the things that will flow out of that. With miracles, it's a little harder. With the next point, it's a little harder to demonstrate that. But on this, it's straightforward. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. You jump off a cliff, you're going to get hurt. You know, you mess around with somebody with STDs, and you're going to get STDs. You know, It's just like there's a natural cause and effect relationship that people uh, will recognize. And uh, there are even secular books that have looked at the laws of Israel and have explained why those were m- medically could explain why Israel did not have a lot of the diseases that were epidemic amongst other nations and actually were epidemic in, in uh, Western civilization until modern medicine began implementing practices they were used to doing. They did it all the time. In fact, why don't you turn with me to Deuteronomy 7, previous chapter. Let's begin reading at verse 12. And that brings up just one blessing, which we're not going to preach on and I'm not going to preach on in the future, but I thought I'd maybe uh, deal with it quickly. Then it shall come to pass because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers and he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock and the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Now, I think all three of the ways in which God shows a cause and effect relationship between ethics and prosperity, all three of the ways are illustrated here. But verse 15 makes sense just on the laws of harvest alone. Just on those laws. I have a book on my shelf that gives a fascinating study. It goes through... It goes through like the 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 sickness quarantine laws Um, uh, it goes through hygiene laws Um, what are all the different laws that it goes through but it shows that it's just it's very natural that these people would avoid a lot of the disease in fact I was reading uh, oh some years ago on the medical practices of Egypt I think it was uh, two years ago and you can get this on the on the web there's a place that has printed out all of the uh, archaeological findings of the papyri, the translations and stuff, it is, it's is—it's just abominable the kind of medical practices that they had in Egypt. No wonder they got sick. The birth control practices were absolutely horrible. Uh, here's just one example. You get a, a wound. They would put uh, donkey dung on there as a compress. And donkey dung is just full of tetanus. You know, it's a wonder more people didn't die of tetanus, you know, and other diseases like that. But The point is, there is a law of harvest. You plant in this area, you're going to automatically get it. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever. Uh, God's going to prosper or he's going to remove that prosperity uh, from you. And the same would be true of violating economic laws in the Bible or violating contract law. Contract law that the scriptures give, I think, is foundational to a free market economy. And if you want some time, we can talk about how many of those laws flowed out of the, but I'm not going to take the time to preach on it, but flowed out of the Reformation. Uh, You just don't have an efficient free market system without the government enforcing contract law. And so it's no stretch to say if you violate economic laws, it's going to affect you poorly in your economics, health, any other area. So there's a cause and effect relationship between ethics and miracles, between ethics and natural consequences, thirdly under point one, There's a relationship between ethics and all God's providential dealings. Another way of saying it is God is going to cause all of life to conspire on your behalf to work together for your good. And on the contrast, if you are not faithful to the Lord, he's going to cause all of life to fail to work together for your good because you don't love him. Okay. Uh, Verse 2 says that God brought providential difficulties into the lives of the Israelites to humble them. Why? Because of their unethical behavior. And he also brought them to test them for the future. Verse 3 continues that thought. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was saying it's not just the connection between nutrition and whether you're going to be healthy, and it's not just the connection between miracles, and your prosperity, but he says he wanted them to learn that everything they did related to whether they followed God's words or not, and Satan actually missed that. That's why Christ quotes this passage, totally missed it when he wanted Christ to perform a miracle. He says, no, God blesses in any way that he chooses providentially. But um, uh, you might think, uh, well, can we really say that there is a cause and effect relationship between typhoons? and uh, the evil or the rebellion of a, of, of a given nation. Well, it may be hard to prove to the satisfaction of an unbeliever all of those relationships, but there have been some books that have been written and Reshtuni's done some work on this, tracing, tracing the movement of, of, of history that I think is just, just phenomenal. And uh, when we get to Deuteronomy 28, we'll probably spend a little bit more time showing a cause and effect relationship even on things where you say, I can't see the connection and God says well the connections there even though you can't see it and he brings up things even silly things like um, Like itch and hemorrhoids and things like that Very fascinating passage Deuteronomy 28 you may want to read it before we actually get to there and that's why this passage uh, verse 17 indicates when God uses his providence to either Take away from our lives to discipline us or he causes our business to take off and prosper We have to be so careful that we don't begin taking credit and saying oh, it's because I was so wise look at verse 17 and 18 Then you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth." You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day He's saying don't you take the credit. Don't you miss out on the fact God providentially orchestrates all of life for your benefit or for your discipline Have you ever noticed? When you've uh, skipped devotions in the morning because you couldn't waste the time how inefficient your whole day has become I've noticed that many many times in my life You know I just couldn't take the time and other times when I said Lord I want to honor you and you you take the time to spend with the Lord to seek his face And how you think I'm never going to get through this day and the Lord makes you so efficient. He prospers your time Have you noticed how the Lord in your life has prospered you financially? you're thinking I don't know where that dollar is going to come from the Lord comes through time and time again as you honor him Uh, There is a connection and I think we need to have it as a part of our very fiber that that we believe that there is a cause-and-effect relationship between ethics and and prosperity Uh, So, I don't know how much more to uh, emphasize that, but it's a critical thing repeated over and over in Deuteronomy. Point number two, and we'll end with this point, there is a relationship between maturity and prosperity. God ordinarily only pours out blessings into our lives that we are able to handle, okay, that uh, are not going to send us too much. And it only makes sense because if God loves us, why would he give to us enormous wealth If the the wealth is going to make us turn against him or it's going to make us sin or we're not going to handle it properly I mean that'd be a curse. It wouldn't be a blessing and um, It'd be sort of like you giving a you know, I really love my one-year-old child I'm gonna give him this $100 bill You wouldn't do that because it doesn't know how to handle that $100 might eat it, you know, or or flush it or something and so uh, that, that's the way God, God works with us. Now, many times, God will give us sufficient blessing above and beyond what we were expecting and above and beyond, certainly, what we deserve. And he does it to be a test, an integrity check, as it were, so that we have an opportunity to fail. And then I have to repeat that lesson again. Or we have an opportunity to pass the test. And when we pass the integrity check, he can bless us with even more uh, blessing. Uh, verse 2 talks about those tests. Those integrity checks, by the way, the first uh, generation of Israelites that wandered for 40 years (laughs) They failed those tests, didn't even realize they were tests They failed them over and over and over again He says, okay, if it takes 40 years, take 40 years You know, I'll keep giving you this lesson until you learn it But look at verse 2 You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way These 40 years in the wilderness to humble you And test you to know what was in your heart Whether you would keep his commandments or not As repeated again in verse uh, 16 and I would really encourage you to examine your life and to say, okay I'm expecting the Lord to be bringing a Test into my life. Maybe it's somebody who's tempting me to do something that is wrong and the Lord's saying, okay We'll see if he's learned his lesson yet. Good. He's passed that test. I Can prosper him I can uh, I can give him uh, more responsibility I can give him more blessing or you fail it. Okay, well, I'm gonna have to test him from another angle and um uh, when I did my journaling timeline, I forget now, was it a year ago, two years ago, something like that, the lights really went on for me on this whole area. For the first time in my life, I saw how Romans 8.28 in very concrete detail had been working uh, in my life. I, I, I timelined from my birth up to the present and just looking at what the Lord was doing, believing that he had crafted everything in my life to prepare me uh, for, for uh, where I am at. And I saw many tests and many integrity checks that I absolutely failed. Now, I didn't recognize them as tests at the time. I just thought God was being mean. <laughs> I mean, I didn't understand why it was I had to go through so much misery and why the Lord wasn't answering my prayers. Now, he was actually. He was providing for me during that time. But he was testing me, pushing me into, into more maturity. In fact, I was just a slow learner, I think. I look back at my timeline, there is a big chunk from age 18 through age 25 where it seems like almost everything the Lord was doing in my life during that time was pushing me, pushing me, pushing me, teaching me the same lesson which I wasn't learning because I was so scared to step out in the areas he wanted me to to be going. But he was pushing me beyond my comfort zones and forcing me to grow up. And I'm glad I finally learned the lesson because I don't want to have to go through that stage again. It was, a, it was a tough time in my life. Verse 5 says, You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. And I think if I had submitted my neck to God's tests earlier, I probably wouldn't have had to go through so many of those lessons that the Lord had to uh, repeat. So don't see the times when God is pulling back some of the things out of your life as an indication God doesn't care about your prosperity. He does. But he's more concerned about your maturity. He wants you to mature in him. And what this chapter shows is that while God wonderfully provided for Israel during the stage of their immaturity, and that's verses 2 through 5, he poured blessing upon blessing upon them during their stage of maturity, which is verses 6 through 10. And I really want to focus on those last 2 uh, subpoints that are up there first of all immaturity and welfareism go hand in hand uh, the younger a child is the more he needs to be cared for and the less responsibility that he has and in a sense a young child is part of a welfare society not a welfare state we don't believe in a welfare state but he's part of a welfare society where you're providing for him irrespective of his responsibility you know a little baby doesn't do anything you're just feeding him you know And as the child grows up into a toddler and becomes older, there's more and more responsibilities that are placed on the child. There is more freedoms that are given, more risks that are taken, more responsibilities uh, that are given there too. But true prosperity, whether it's economic growth or growth in any other area, will not happen as long as people remain immature. Uh, The first generation of Israelites rejected the risks and the dangers that came from freedom. They rejected the responsibilities of maturity. One of their responsibilities was to go in and conquer the land of Canaan and take dominion. They didn't want to do that. They were fearful. And so verse 5 indicates God had to treat them as children. Okay? This constant provision for them was not a sign of honor. It was a sign of humbling of them. I want you to notice in verse 2, and I'm not going to read it again. I have already read it three times. He says the purpose was to humble them. Verse 3 again, so he humbled you. In other words, the wilderness wandering from verses 2 through 5 was not the ideal that people ought to be looking at. Oh, how wonderful it would be if I could have lived back in that time when God would pour out all this manna into my life, when he would uh, cause my clothes never to wear out, miracle upon miracle that he showed to me. And he says, no, it's not really uh, the uh, ideal that uh, the Lord has for us. Uh, It's true, they did not lack uh, any clothes, but they had no way of developing a textile industry. It's true that they did not lack food, but they had no way of being able to prosper in marketing food God was forcing them to be dependent as babies because until they learned the issue of dependence They could never learn the issues of maturity that had to come first and so he was forcing them into that position in fact They couldn't even store up manna if they wanted to God said it'll rot if you try to store it up and some of them tried and sure it got full of worms and 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 moldy he says he wanted them dependent upon him. They couldn't dig wells, they couldn't plant crops, they couldn't labor in the diverse industries that later on in the land of Canaan made many of them very prosperous. Let me just give you a quote from Gary North's um, book as to why this was the case, case, and I, I think he stated it very well. He said, the wilderness economy was a welfare economy. The Israelites were supplied with basic necessities even though the people did not work, but they lacked variety. People without the ability to feed themselves were fed by God. Same old diet. People without the ability to clothe themselves were clothed by God. Same old fashions. Israel wandered aimlessly because the nation had refused to march into war. They were not willing to lead, and so they had to follow. They were welfare clients. They had no authority over the conditions of their existence. They took what was handed out to them, and like welfare clients generally, they constantly complained that their lifestyle just wasn't good enough. Numbers 11. They had been unwilling to pay the price of freedom. Conquest, numbers 14. God therefore cursed them to endure four decades of welfare economics. The only th- good thing about the wilderness welfare program was that it did not use the state as the agency of positive blessings. And so, even though it could be tempting to want to go into a position where God just he just bails us out all the time, he's always pouring things into our lives. We don't have to take any responsibility. It's not a blessing we should seek after. Not at all. God made sure that the downsides were so obvious to the Israelites that they wanted to grow up. And he made sure that the the blessings, the potential blessings of prosperity, were so real in Canaan that they wanted to grow up. They were willing to take the risks of going into, into Canaan. And uh, it's interesting that uh, in Joshua five, after Israel covenants with God and pursues for their first day, pursues a life of dominion that flows out of maturity. God took away the signs of uh, their welfare dependence, the, the clothing and the and the um, the manna. Joshua five twelve. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. No more miracles, you know. To Sustain them in terms of that food. Basically, God was taking away the security blanket and he was saying, Look, I want you to now begin managing the risks of freedom and pursuing after the prosperity that I've called you to. I'll prosper you if you're willing to be mature in me. And I think that's where the Jews in John six totally failed. He talked about the man actually it was he fed five thousand people, two loaves and two fishes. Tremendous miracle. And what do the people in John six want to do? They want to force Jesus to become king. And what's their reason why they want to force him to become king? They say, Lord, give us this bread always. They wanted a welfare king, you know, somebody who would make it so they didn't have to do any any work anymore. They didn't have to take risks. Lord, give us this bread always. So I think we can say God is gracious to the immature. He provides for them in marvelous ways. From the time that we're youngest up until maturity, he provides for us but he prospers those who are mature in his grace. Verse 6, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Okay, that's a sign of maturity. And what comes with maturity is verses 7 through 10. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given to you. Can you see the incredible contrast between the wilderness generation and the generation that went into, into the conquest that, that had maturity? Um, it's um, so easy for us to want the security of the manna. And I think that's what welfare mentality is all about. We want the security of the manna. But instead, we need to have the attitude of Caleb that said, Lord, give me this mountain. Let me take dominion for you. I'm willing to take the risks. Lord, I want to serve you. Uh, We need to have the prayer of Jabez be a part of our life. Where he says, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, and that I may not cause pain. Notice he saw it as flowing from an ethical life. He was saying, Lord, I want, to be, I want to be righteous in my life, I want to be mature in my life, and I want to do it to your glory. And it's in that context that the Lord answered his prayer. Next verse says, so the Lord granted him what he requested. And so basically, the scripture says that Jabez's ethics, point number one, and his maturity, point number two, is what resulted in his prosperity. And God will have his way in maturing you one way or another. He'll ensure that you have to learn the same lessons over and over again if you're a slow learner like I was. And I'm going to pick up at, at verse 7 next time, but I want to read verses 15 through 16 that show the purpose of this maturing process. Who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock? who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Look at that last phrase, to do you good in the end. He's basically saying, I'm bringing all of these things into your life to work together for your good. Now, a lot of people quote Romans 8:28 totally out of context, and they interpret what good is. And God defines his own terms. And in the next verse, Romans 8:29, he defines what that good is. And that is that you be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And if God were to prosper you without the end of you being conformed to the image of His Son, then it wouldn't have its purpose. It wouldn't be for your good. It would not be for your good if He prospered you and it did not result in your exalting Christ and saying, I want you to be the firstborn among many brethren. And so... In light of the two points on ethics that we've managed to make it through this far, my admonition to you is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen. Father God, we come before you thankful for your word, thankful for your blessings, thankful that you back up your word, that you truly do bring the prosperity or the cursing, the discipline into our lives that uh that we should have we want to mature we want to be conformed to the image of the lord jesus christ and we want christ to be the firstborn among many brethren not our servant but uh, the one that we serve and gladly do so may our lives bow down before Him, and father to the degree that we are seeking you first in your kingdom i pray that you would pour into our lives uh, all of the blessings of deuteronomy and i pray it in christ's name amen